Good news, we got the podium up here. That was very worried about <laughs> screwing that up. <laughs> so, um, good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. I've got to tell you, that was some powerful worship this morning, and I'm very thankful that I didn't have to come up here after 10,000 reasons. Because <laughs> it took a minute to compose myself after this. That was really cool. Um, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> myself, Jason Rexford, and my amazing wife, Jessica, Jason's amazing as well, but we don't normally call him that, <laughs> we went to Syracuse for a seminar um, on church plants and building new faith communities. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And while we were out there, and I'm going to plug a lot of things in our church today, so be listening for them <clears throat> throughout, so you know what's going on here, because there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. Uh, but we learned a ton of stuff there for the young adult ministry that we're doing, because down at the flip side, we're considering that a new faith community. So that's why we got sent out there, to learn a lot of cool um, stuff for how we can build that, how we can grow that community out there. But God taught me more than just about growing a community out there. Um, and I didn't realize it until we were driving back. As we went out there, Jason was my co-pilot, so he was right in the, the passenger seat with his phone because I have no clue where I'm going or how to get around Syracuse or anything. And so he's given me the directions. And Syracuse is a terrible place to drive around. I, where we were, close to Destiny, USA, we were like 10, 15 minutes from there. The roads kept going like this. And you're up, you're off. It's just really, it was very confusing. But the whole time, Rex just kept giving me, all right, you want to get in this lane, you want to do this. And by the time we were coming home, God really started to speak to me on the ride, too. We went to visit a church plant on Sunday morning, actually. And as we were driving to that church service, God really spoke to me that this was the most peaceful drive out of a known area for me that I'd ever had. And the reason was, was that I trusted Rex. I trusted him with the directions. He only once or twice, he says, led me astray, but I didn't even notice those. Um, we went around the block once, and so it was, it was good. But when you trust your guide, there is such an amazing peace that comes from that. Um, before we go any further, though, I want you to pray with me. And as we bow our heads, I don't want you to just pray with me. I want you to pray for me. I want you to not just listen to what I'm saying, but I want you to be praying yourself. I want you to be praying that uh, God helps me up here because I do not do this on my own because I am terrified usually of being up here. Um, so anything that happens here good is God. Um, but more importantly, pray that God prepares you to hear something. Some of the best services when I was doing the youth was kids would come up to me and tell me things that they got out of a youth service. It's like, yeah, that wasn't in the service at all. But somehow God spoke to them and gave them some amazing message and that's cool. So pray that God prepares your heart. Pray that God speaks to you through the message today. Yeah. Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you and praise you for this place, for this church, for this church family here, Lord. Um, what an amazing body of believers we have here, people that every week when I come, I feel loved and cared for. And I know that a lot of people come here because they feel the same way, Father. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you that we know that you are here today. We know that you are showing up. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, but more importantly, Father, I pray that you would speak to every person here, that whether I fall on my face or not, no matter what happens, 
that your message is getting out, that your words are being spoken, Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the spiritual discipline we're talking about today is submission. Yeah, the pastors took the right week to take off. (laughs) Submission. So we're going to split this up into two parts. First, we're going to talk about submitting to God. And then we're going to take a little break in between there. And Brandon's going to play a song because there's going to be something for you to kind of meditate on during that time. And then we're going to go, come back and we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about submitting to one another. So Richard Foster says in his book, Celebration of Discipline, that every spiritual discipline has a corresponding freedom. So there's a freedom that goes with every single one of these disciplines. But a freedom that comes from submission sounds like it goes against the definition of what submission means. So to check, I looked up to see what submission means in the dictionary. And it said to submit did not help me at all. So <laughs> I had to turn a couple, go back and look up what it means to submit, to give over or yield to the power or authority of another. So where's the freedom in that? Where's the freedom in us giving up or yielding our power to somebody else? It just doesn't seem like it works that way. But guys, we serve an awesome God. We serve a God of paradoxes. We serve a God who the least will be the greatest, the last will be first. You have to die to live. We serve a God where all these amazing paradoxes happen. So when I was telling you about my trip to Syracuse, I told you about the peace that I had while I was driving. That is the freedom that comes from submitting. What I was doing on that drive and why God spoke to me, because I was already working through what this message was going to look like or sound like, and what God spoke to me was, this is it. This is submitting. Submitting to a guide that you trust, that you know has the answers. You may not know the direction, but he knows where you're going. And what a freedom, what a peace that came from that. So we're starting today with the benefits of submission for the same reason that Richard Foster does in his book. And I'm going to tell you what Richard Foster says He says, most of us have been exposed to such a mutilated form of biblical submission that either we have embraced the deformity or we have rejected the discipline altogether. So let's not immediately shut down the word submission just because of the abuses of the past. I ask you just to be open today to what does this mean, um, submission. We're going to read Mark 12, 14 to 17. It should be on the screen here. But I'm going to read everything out of the actual Pew Bible as well. And there's going to be other verses that we go to. So if you can grab, if you have a Bible, that's great. Um, But if you can grab your Pew Bible, you'll be able to uh, follow right along. I just have to find where I marked it at. It's so different reading from a Bible that you're not used to. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought a coin and they asked them, and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed. 
the Jewish leaders are trying to trap Jesus. If he says yes, um, that you should pay the taxes to, the, to Caesar, well, then they're going to turn all the people against him. If he says no, well, now he's committing treason against the empire. But Jesus didn't fall for their trap. Jesus uses it as a lesson on submission. So remember our definition to yield or to give over, um, to yield or the power or authority of, to the authority of another. So Jesus asked to see a coin, and he says, so they give him one. He says, whose image is this? Now, the Jews have to be thinking, well, you know whose image this is. But they're like, uh, Caesar's? And he goes, you know what? Give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. I just imagine Jesus doing this. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, flipping it back to him, dropping the mic, walking away. You know, I mean, it's amazing. But then Jesus says, yield to Caesar what is Caesar's, yield to God what is God's. When Jesus asks about the image on this coin, though, this is significant. Um, One commentator writes, because Caesar's likeness is stamped on the coin used for the tax, it should be given back to Caesar as his rightful property. However, God's image is stamped into or imprinted on every living person. Therefore, everyone should give himself or herself back to God. Or again, as per our definition, submit himself or herself to God. That coin was made with the image of Caesar. We are made in the image of God. We have the image of God imprinted upon us. So because I'm in Connie Tempest's precept class now that we just started, we do a lot of word searches, and if I ask any questions, she gives me homework as as like everybody else in the group. So um, so we're going to do a quick word search. We're going to look at what this means. I want you to go to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. We, um, and the reason I really want you to look these up is because this is an important part of our church, and we're really trying to get people more and more into the Word. We want to, next September, and this is one of those plugs, we're, we're working on starting what we're calling the Bible Institute on Sunday mornings, where wherever you are in your ability to study Scripture, you will be able to go to the class, whether it's beginners, intermediate, whatever, up to a precepts class. Um, so we really want you to be thinking about these things, because This is God's word, and this is important, and we're going to get more into this in a bit here. So let's read that passage. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So give to God what is God's. Submit yourself to God. And there's the question for you. Are you doing that today? Are you truly submitting to him? Have you given every area of your life to God, or are you still holding some things back? We are going to talk really quick about two acts that Richard Foster calls the acts of submission to God. The first is the act of submitting to the scriptures. And that's why I was just telling you about the the Bible Institute thing. Richard Foster says of this, Richard says this of submitting to the scriptures, as we submit ourselves to the word of God living, which is Jesus, so we submit ourselves to the word of God written, the scriptures. We yield ourselves first to hear the word, second to receive the word, and third to obey the word. 
we look to the Spirit who inspired the Scriptures to interpret and apply them to our lives. The Word of Scripture, made alive by the Holy Spirit, lives through us throughout the day. Turn to Hosea 4.6. By the way, if you're using your pew Bible, this is page 638. Make it easy for you to get to. I have the first part of Hosea 4.6 memorized. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because that's another thing that Connie likes to remind us all the time, remind me all the time. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. This is so important. God's word is so important. So Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priest because you have ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. We cannot submit to God if we do not know what his word says. We cannot know the God of the universe. We cannot know the God whose image is imprinted on us apart from his word. It is so important. My people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let's not let that be our church. Once we know who God is, once we understand his word, then we can go to our second act of submission. And the second act of submission is self-denial. Richard Foster says the freedom that comes from submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. He goes on to say that the obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. People will spend weeks, months, even years in a perpetual stew because some little thing didn't go as they wished. They will fuss and fume. They will get mad about it. They will act as if their very life hangs on the issue. They may even get an ulcer over it. In the discipline of submission, we are released to drop the matter, to forget it. Mark 8.34b says this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Again, Christ calling us to self-denial. Richard Foster also says, almost because of this self-denial, almost instinctively, we draw back from these words. We are much more comfortable with words like self-fulfillment and self-actualization than we are with the thought of self-denial. In reality, Jesus' teaching on self-denial is the only thing that will bring genuine self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Self-denial conjures up in our minds all sorts of images of groveling and self-hatred. We imagine that it most certainly means the rejection of our individuality and will probably lead to various forms of self-mortification. But on the contrary, Jesus calls us to self-denial without self-hatred. Self-denial is simply a way of coming to understand that we do not have to have our own way. Our happiness is not depending on getting what we want. Jesus not only calls us to submission, but he also acted out submission with his very life. He demonstrated it. He submitted himself when, for Mary's sake, he turns water to wine. He submitted himself when he washed his disciples' feet. He submitted himself when he left heaven, became flesh to dwell here with us. That is a big self-denial. And he submitted himself when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew all that was going to happen to him. 
He felt fear, anxiety, stress to the point of sweating blood. Most of us stress, stress over unknown things that are never really as bad as we think they are. Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus stressed, and yet he says, not my will, but your will be done. Each day when we wake up, we need to have the same attitude on our hearts. Not my will today, Father, but your will be done. Not what I want to do, Lord, but what you want me to do. Show me what you want me to do. We must submit with the act of self-denial. So let's sum it up real quick. What does this mean practically? What areas do you and I need to submit to God today? Maybe we need to submit our time to him, to devote time to really studying scriptures. Maybe we submit because we're, we need, maybe we need to submit our finances because we're holding back from him. We're not trusting him with our finances. Maybe it's an addiction we need to yield to. Men, Tuesday nights, we have a sexual purity or sexual addiction class, um, group, small group. Maybe it's an addiction. And if that's you, find me afterwards and I can get you information. Um, maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your times, your gifts, your talents. Maybe it's your fear. Maybe it's your social standing. Maybe how you appear to others is more important than how you appear to God. So as Brandon plays some music, we're just going to take a few minutes to ask God what areas we need to submit to him. In your um, bulletin, there's a card. I'd like you to take that card. And once you've prayed for a couple minutes during this and asking God, where do I need to submit? Write that down in your card and keep that with you. Nobody else is going to see it. But that's a reminder for you. What do I need to submit to God? Every heart there 
another kind of submission, and I know we're kind of running out of time. I'm blaming Steve. I think Steve took all my time. <laughs> um, in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we engage in the spiritual discipline, what we are doing is preparing the soul for the Holy Spirit to do a work in us. Um, in Galatians 6.8, Paul says, the one who sows to please the sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul's analogy here is instructive. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All a farmer can do is prepare the soil and then pray, hope that the grain comes. All he can do, though, is what he can do for the soil. And it's the same for us. As we're doing these spiritual disciplines, what we're doing is preparing the soil of our souls to reap a harvest and to bear fruit. So if we first submit ourselves to God and allow him to work in us, then it is easier for us to submit to one another. Before we go into this, because of the abuses of submission in the past, I, I want to say, tell you what Richard Foster says about the limits of the discipline of submission. Um, he says, I'm sorry, he says, the limits of the discipline of, of submission are at the points at which it becomes destructive. So when looking at how do we submit and when do we submit, we must have a dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Relationships are complicated. Every relationship is complicated, whether it's spouses, parent, child, employee, employer. Relationships are complicated. 
Um, so this idea of submitting, it's super, so, so important. But we've always got to be resting on the Holy Spirit for what does that look like. So I say that because if you're in an abusive relationship, we are not saying you must submit to the abuse. All right? And we want that to be very clear. Um, but in as much as it, is, as it is possible to submit, submit to one another, like Ephesians 5.21 says, Jesus had a lot of paradoxical teachings. Jesus was constantly rejecting the cultural givens of societal roles and leadership positions. In Matthew 23, 8 to 10, Jesus tells the disciples and the people, don't be called rabbi, don't be called father, don't be called teacher. Is there anything wrong with the titles? There's not anything wrong with the titles. The problem was the attitudes. The problem was what they were seeking. It was the pride that came with the titles that... Jesus was speaking against. He is telling them, don't seek to be above others, but submit to others. As Philippians 2.3 says, consider others better than yourself. We're going to read Colossians 3.18 to 24. I think I wrote it down right here, but we'll have that up on the screen for you. <clears throat> it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. <clears throat> I've got to tell you guys, the last couple weeks, this passage has blown my mind because it looks, I've always read it pretty straightforward. Um, but Richard Foster says, the epistle first calls to subordination those who by virtue of the given culture are already subordinate. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Slave, well, slaves, obey your earthly masters. The revolutionary thing about this teaching is that these people to whom first century culture afforded no choice at all are addressed as free moral agents. <clears throat> Did you get that? Do you understand what was happening here? These people didn't have a choice in first century society. Wives had to submit. Children had to submit. Slaves had to submit. But Paul, all of a sudden, is writing to them as if they have a choice, giving them a choice. Because Paul tells us a few verses previous and in Galatians 3.28, that in Christ there is no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. No longer do we submit because we have to submit. Now we have the freedom to choose to submit. Not for culture's sake, but because it is pleasing to God. It is interesting that in this passage, the ones who are really challenged are not the women, children, or slaves, but those who would be considered the dominant partner in each relationship. Richard Foster says this, the first century wife, child, or slave would not need to change one bit to follow Paul's command. If anything, the sting of this teaching falls upon the dominant partner. These imperatives to husbands, fathers, and masters constitute another form of self-denial. They are just another set of words to convey the same truth, namely that we can be set free from the need to have things our own way. If we love the way we are called to love, we will be willing to sacrifice for the needs of those we are in relationship with. 
whatever that relationship happens to be, spouse, parent, boss, whatever, Brothers and sisters, I want to echo this call today. Submit to one another. Men, let's be godly men. Loving our wives and children and even those we have authority over in the workplace does not make us weak. Submission is not, does not make us weak. To submit, to love one another, that takes a great strength. Anybody can lord over other people and be bullying over other people. That's easy. Being willing to submit yourself first to God and then to others, that takes strength. Wives, children, and employees submit not because you have to, not necessarily because your husband, father, or boss deserves it, but because God deserves it. God deserves to have us being submissive to one another. God has earned that. In the first half, I asked you to consider what areas of life you need to submit to God. Hopefully you wrote that on your card. Hopefully you'll take that and you will pray about it and you will just give that that over to God. For the second half, I ask you this week to really pray and consider in what relationships do we need to be more submissive. Maybe wives, maybe you do need to be more submissive. Maybe husbands, you need to love and submit as well to your wives. Maybe it's with your employer Maybe it's with an employee, you know, maybe parent, children, whatever it is. Just ask yourself, is there an area in my relationships that I need to submit? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day. Um, Lord, I pray that your spirit, I know you're here. I have felt your spirit here. Thank you and praise you for that. I pray that you would reveal to each of us where we need to submit. I pray as we leave today that we would have this thought on our mind and that we would be cultivating the soil of our lives, that we will bear fruit for you, that we will no longer be content to sit in the pew on Sunday morning, Father, but that we will live every day, every moment of our lives, every morning waking up, saying, not my will, Father, but yours. What would you have me do? Give us that passion. Give us that desire. Give us that focus, Lord. Father, I thank you and praise you again and just bless each one of these people here as they leave today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.